Hello and welcome to Windy City Wargaming, brought to you by the Chicago Wargaming community. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm here with the usual crew, James. Hey. And Josh. Yo. But also, today we have an awesome guest here, Travis Marg. Hello. So maybe for some of our listeners who don't know who you are, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? Absolutely. Uh, I am... Oh, where do I start? Uh, Infernal Convention event organizer, uh, one of the main leads for uh, ATC. Um, so as an Infernal, I do rules adjudication with the development team for Private Press. Uh, I run events such as Gen Con, Lock and Load, When It Ever Returns, Adepticon. Uh, I'll be running events at Warfare Weekend. Uh, I'm their main guy to run their uh, events that they actually host. Uh, and then I am an avid collector of everything Private to Press, as I own everything from Private to Press. Uh, a very large collection. If you've seen it online, you've most likely seen the cabinets. Everyone shares them all every time. So oh, yeah. lots of That's lots awesome. of models, yeah. uh, lots of fun. That's yeah, so just covering a whole wall, right? Do you, are you actually like you own everything? Not uh, full faction and all that. I own everything at full FA for Mark Three. I'm not wow. going to convert. To mark four FAs for new thing for the old things, but I will convert to new FA for the new factions. So I will have full FA of Mark Four factions. Awesome! That's awesome! Holy cow! It's a lot of stuff. It's uh, <laughs> over seventy three hundred models at the moment. Seventy three hundred. Yeah, that's that's for Warcaster, War Machine, Monpok, Riot Quest. Holy cow! Um, yeah, 7,360 models at the moment. I thought I was bad. <laughs> yeah, well, Josh, you, you are bad. but <laughs> That's true. It makes me feel better a little bit. That's awesome. It though. should. It should. Yeah, when you're like, when you're trying to tell your significant other, like, hey, I've got this miniature hobby, but it's not as bad as it could be. And then you like literally hold up the meme of me with my wall. That's <laughs> that's the, the the thing you can do where it's like, hey, this is what it's look what it really looks like. Mine's nothing in comparison. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's awesome. Speaking of like transitioning from Mark Three to Mark Four and all that, we have all talked about Mark Four, War Machine, uh, and our thoughts on Mark Four. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I know it's been we played a few more games since then. And let me ask you, Travis, um, <laughs> how do you feel about the transition from Mark Three to Mark Four? So the big things that I think that Mark Three provide or Mark Four provides over Mark Three is the ease of getting into the game. Uh, the speed of the game has dramatically improved. Uh, the lack of templates is actually a very nice thing. I've reduced my container of widgets and things needed to play the game from right, a yeah. large tote down to like one of those pencil boxes my son uses to go to school with. Uh, everything fits in there now. It's amazing. Um, the, the size of the game is adaptive for every level. It, it feels good playing a 50-point, 75-point, or 100-point game. Um, games are fast. Like, there's there's so many good things about the edition that it, it's hard to be like, hey, this is my favorite thing. It's just a lot of good things that make the game overall faster, better, and, like, more enjoyable. That's awesome. Yeah. How about, how about going around here? Is, is there anything that you might, that you so far, that you miss from Mark Three that's not in Mark Four? I think that the the smaller size is really good, but I think at seventy five points it's a little far for me. So I just I I miss some of the scale of it. I think to to be on that, I'll, I can hit on that a little bit, James. Yeah. Uh, the 
the scale does feel smaller. Like your armies definitely feel smaller, and I I get that. Um, there is a sense of that grandness of Mark III that we don't have in Mark IV. Where I look at some of the armies I make for the seventy-five or even hundred-point armies, and I can fit them in a third of the case that I used to be able to fit them in, and that definitely is like noticeable for most people is that you don't have to have as many models to play the game. And I, I think that can be a double-edged sword where some people really really liked the lots the lots 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 models. And some others felt that was too much of an overload. So there's a there's a tricky balance between those two things. Oh yeah, no, no, for sure. And honestly, the 75 point games towards the end of Mark III were way too big. I think right. it was too many models. It did not fit in an hour clock. It was kind of a big barrier to entry. Right. But but even at like 100 points, it feels almost like I don't know, like 60 ish points of Mark III. I think the thing that people like that you've noticed i'm sure is that theme forces and battle group points inflated what 75 points really look like yeah oh yeah it was never 75 points it was 120 to 130 at minimum mark three points and that that difference in scale is definitely noticeable between the games yeah yeah i so i've only played two 100 point games and those felt a little better but it doesn't seem like that's where a lot of the pickup games are targeted right now. And so that's just like the one thing I miss. Um, right. But that's that's correctable as you like yeah. agree on game sizes though. And and but. James and I continue to have disagreements on that. That's my favorite part <laughs> of Mark IV <laughs> is that uh, it is smaller. And what I think is cool is that we get both viewpoints when we're talking uh right. on this on this podcast cuz I think that we have a good spread of like value that we find in in war games so it's really kind of cool to have these discussions where we talk about oh the the thing that you don't like the most about it is the thing that the other person likes the most about it because there's different stroke for different folks and it's cool to have them represented and and whichever way you fall on that i mean it's clear that this edition has a very marketed direction right that they are trying to make the game more accessible they're trying to make the game faster and uh and like especially with um the new like the the defenses and the guard towers and the changes to terrain it, it does seem uh very interesting how like they're now making even just like the terrain and the battlefield itself more personalized right as to like how do you set this up what do you bring to the table um right. and like maybe some viewers aren't really familiar here uh uh what what are some of these new defenses and guard towers coming out travis so we have, uh, you can buy it currently. I believe the deal is ex- expired for it, but you can buy watch or guard towers. I want to call them watch towers because that's what they want to play test. <laughs> uh, but they're guard towers. Uh, effectively, what they are, they're uh, neutral pieces of terrain that have a doorway and two levels to them. Uh, a small base or medium based unit can fit inside them. Uh, a five man squad can fit on the f- different floors for small base and a three model squad can fit on the floors uh there's some defensive benefits for it there's some offensive benefits for it but really they're they're offering a interacting effect to the table now is this something that you would like put into your list when you're list building or is this something that you'd bring if you're setting up a table or how how would that work mechanically this is something that's set up on the table by the players uh for one if you don't like like say you're a person who's like, I don't like the interactiveness of this terrain. It works as a obstruction on the table no matter what. You can treat it as an obstruction. You don't have to play with the rules of whatever at that point. But then 
otherwise, if you want to play with the rules for it, it has rules set up. Uh, they'll be released inside the app, uh, and you'll be able to play these towers as a piece of terrain. So, like everything else in the game, you should be trying to build your tables in a way to not give undue advantage to either player. So you're going to put one of, one or two of these on the table in interesting places uh, to cause them to interact in the game in different ways. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, what I think is cool about it is, uh, specifically is like its official war machine terrain, which we haven't had for a while. Like I can just think right. of the Gale Force yeah. 9 uh, right. uh, war machine terrain, and that was the coolest stuff. And people are st- it's still very sought sought for uh, sought out by other people. Those pay- paying like a hundred dollars plus for these old pieces of terrain just because people love that. So it's cool that that stuff right. is coming back. It, it, it's a, it's it's cool that it's another uh, thing that you can do to really customize your table to make it war machiney, and uh, that's awesome. Absolutely. And to that same effect, there's uh, the defenses that are coming out. So you'll have a uh, campfire, a powder keg, a I forget if it's just called a wall or something else, uh, and a spike trap, which can impact the game uh, in different ways. These are part of your list building. So when you uh, build your list, they will impact in a certain way of which ones you choose and how you choose them. Um, there will be different, like when both players have them, how they'll interact to each other for the different players. Uh, more of this will be coming out in the official rules uh, that are coming out, but that it's part of your list when you bring defenses. So these are not something that's set up prior to you rolling off for sides. This is something that you set up very much like advanced deploy. So are these going to be like like command cards and stuff like that, where they're kind of required to list building, and like some of them maybe like one point or two points. Are they going to be like, like how how do they go into the list building? I don't believe I can specify exactly at the moment. <laughs> but <laughs> fair enough. Come on. <laughs> the the understanding would be it is likely either uh, you guys have hit the the primary methods of including these into lists. They're either going to be points valued or command carded to limit how many of them you can take. So there's either going to be a points value per each one with an FA, or they're going to be a command card that you get a certain amount of them based off of different factors. So you've got one of those two methodologies. I'm not sure which one 100% we're going to go with yet. It's just there's chances of either way. I think that's okay. Nice. That's awesome. (laughs) Those are (laughs) two very good ways. I didn't think about... Okay, like, let's make it a command card, and, like, your command card is Spike Trap or whatever, and you get two Spike Traps. Uh, right. Because that, that now creates a trade-off. Right, um, right. There's I, There's trade-offs in either direction, because points yeah. are valuable, but also command cards can be worth points. So, like, there's a, there's a weird yeah. gray ground of, like, if I'm first player, do I get more of these? If I'm second player, do I get more of these? Like, there's a whole lot mm-hmm. of levers that can be played with in your list build. I am excited awesome. again on this. I was very <laughs> down before. Well, I, I, I have been sold on, on the idea that when I saw that powder keg and I realized that the Nerf has the open fist on his tail, I'm like, oh my god. Throwing <laughs> the those vision of a dragon really cool. lifting one up. Yep. Yeah. And chucking it uh, across the table. You get to play very narrative type things with these, and that's what's really cool yeah. about it. Now, can we expect to see some of these, you said, at, at Adepticon, maybe, the, the, which is coming up pretty soon here? I have 20 guard towers and 20 defense sets. So, yes, you will see them Holy at Adepticon. Cow. 
Uh, <laughs> I assembled the, the, the defenses don't require any assembly. It's actually really neat that they come 3d printed, uh, zero assembly required on any of them. Oh, wow. Um, the watchtowers, guard towers, I will keep saying their names wrong forever. Uh, have one, two, six, seven, eight parts total. Really, all you have to do is assemble two parts, and the whole thing fits together the rest of the way. Uh, awesome. And it's a it's a part that is actually scary to assemble because you have to you have to kind of jam the the floorboard into the tower. Now, okay, the three D resin. The 3D printed resin is strong enough that you can just push it in and you don't need to glue it at all. But hmm. it is nerve wracking when you don't know that to do it the first time. I see. I've yeah. done it on 20. It's perfectly fine. I've broken <laughs> zero of them doing it. So there's no dry fitting. It's just fit and dry. It's just fit and it's good. Um, wow. The thing to be aware of is there is a ladder in the watchtowers or the guard towers to for the travel between first and second floor so there's a floor on the floorboard there's a little uh trap door on the top piece you want to make sure you actually put that over top the stairs or the the ladder so it actually looks correct um i screwed it up the first time and had to pop it out and put it back in but uh once you know it you're like oh this is really easy put it together the the 3d printing strategies that they've been using it's really a game changer like just building some of these dust models and the newer stuff it's pretty incredible Oh my god, building the Signar, the the big starter box with all the troops in it. How'd you feel about it? Is everything I wanted out of <laughs> a fucking model. It was like everything went together perfectly. Right? And it went together so fast. It's like I could build this shit and get it on the table. Like I could buy it in the store, build it while somebody's playing a game yes. and get the next game. Yes. And just be fine. The only time I had issues with it is some people had issues with the glue drying. That's the only time thing I had issues with. And it was even slight. I didn't even have bad issues with it. But, really? Uh, yeah, I had a little bit of issue with the folks were talking about how the glue would take longer to dry on the new, on the uh, army boxes. That's what that zip kicker's for. I hate using zip kicker, though. But I get you. I 100% get you, but I hate <laughs> using it personally. Uh, I had... I had no issues with the drying time. My only issue was I kept snapping off the fucking swords on the storm guards. <laughs> yes, that's one that uh, we're going back. I, I know as a privateer press representative uh, in one way, shape, and form, I know that the breaking of models is something that we're actually concerned about. Um, oh. To the point that we see it and um, recognize that we need to go back and uh, make this stronger. Like, in test prints and everything else, like when they're looking at it and quality controlling it, they're fine. But you don't really realize the rigors that the game goes through. Um, and like randomly playing and you'll you'll smack them all around on accident. Uh, and you snap a sword and you're like, damn it. So it's things like that where you're just like how we're trying to look at the, the joins between the, the wrists. Like there shouldn't be really like small pivot points like the sword. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what that part. It's the right between the hilt and the blade, um, yeah. wherever that is. That it, they need to be thicker, and I know that the designers are aware of that and the model creators, so that that should happen less uh, in both like secondary prints because they go through and tweak some of the stuff after like the initial run um, and try to make stuff better for that. Oh. So there, there is like Private Press does care about that. It's not something that we don't care about. That's awesome. I just thought I was a fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's not, let's not go that far. I mean, I think 
Josh, you were saying. I mean, I was saying um, people have already said that they've gotten the original prints, and then they've gotten like another set, and that it that the 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 pieces have changed. So like they were talking about some of the weapons being thicker and stuff like right. that, and so people have already noticed that there's been an evolution already. And then and then there's also like the resin. I'm sure that you guys are working on. You know, formulating whatever resin that you guys are using because right. they're all the resins are different as well. So, right, it's like yes. So to to two ends to this, Private Press spent a shit ton of time and effort that people will not recognize in printing and learning how to print and trying to do all of the the base stuff that folks were working on. A lot of the res or the layer lines that people saw were only under like extreme magnifications. You can't really see it on the human eye. Sometimes you can. However, that stuff, these printers are really high grade printers. There's a level between speed and the look that we're trying to go for. Um, production forces a different timeline than other folks are used to. So there's there's a lot of factors of the evolution, the the learning process, the growth of it, how to make the right resin that's not brittle for a high speed versus a low speed. Like there's there's so many factors to this, and Private Press has spent a ton of time and effort to make sure that they're trying to provide a quality product to you. And I know everyone that works at Private Press wants and does stand by their products and wants you to have the best thing possible. Yeah, I mean that's like obvious. I, like the I was blown away by the detail on these things, the quality, um, you know. And and again, like the the breakages. I'm pretty sure like I straight up broke a few of those swords. But if other people are having an issue with it, you know, whatever. But like, um, but I I cannot believe that they went to that 3D printing and it's that clean and it's that easy to right. get all that like detail out of the box and be able to enjoy that model without having to scrape mold lines going down half Absolutely. the face through an eyeball or something like that. <laughs> it's um have you noticed how fast it is to clean models now? Yeah, it's like nothing. <laughs> it takes like 2 minutes. It's awesome. I it's so good and these models just look bad ass i i right. like i swooned over him i was like texting mike the whole time i was building i was like this shit's sure. incredible yeah i got many many little uh, you know very happy texts it was good yeah i have every time i assemble an older model now i'm like why isn't this 3d printed so <laughs> painful. um going back and forth sucks it's really cool with the new stuff i love the new stuff and my bag is a million times lighter yes. <laughs> Troll players rejoice, especially when Brian Blood comes out. My goodness, rejoice! Oh man, I can't wait to see some of that. You're not gonna like release a limited edition giant metal stone that you can carry around in all of your trolls lists. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of a great idea. Yeah. Here's all the remaining pewter we had. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking of carrying models to places, uh, Adepticon is coming up uh, at the end of March. Um, And uh, I know there's been some discussion even between us uh, on the podcast before about what we feel is the right direction for a a tournament, like a a major competitive tournament uh, level as far as point level goes. Um, I know we kind of all three kind of fall in different categories here. 
uh, between 50 points, 75 points, and 100 points. Now, Josh, I know you prefer, you, you really enjoy the 50-point level. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I like the 50-point level uh, because you can be more familiar with everything you got in front of you. I think you can set up a, a game plan and, and go for it pretty quickly. I think it's easy to carry around. Like even if you're not going to be, you know, uh, going to a place specifically to play War Machine, you can bring your War Machine army, and it's not a big deal. If you find somebody who wants to throw down, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, it's fast and it's fun and it's brutal, and I really like the fifty point games. Hang, hang on, I I want to ask about something. Do you carry <laughs> minis around in case you find somebody else with minis, like a Pokemon battle? I I, I do. Oh I do. That'd be amazing. Just like a bandolier. Or yeah. <laughs> I, I, I choose you, Crucible Guard. I love this. That's awesome. I'm all up for it. Like randomly on the street. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Josh turns yeah. his hat backwards and <laughs> intense Follow music through. just starts playing. You're like, where does this music come from? <laughs> oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. So there you go. After talking to James a little bit more about this, I, I do think he has kind of sold me a little bit. Because, see, I, I love list building at 75. I feel like it forces good decision-making forces. Like, you know, you can't just throw everything you want in there. You actually have to decide on the direction of your list and the synergy between the models. And that's what I love to do is finding those kind of synergies and what works well together. I still feel like maybe... I do enjoy playing the 100-point games a little bit more because you can layer your units and spread out on different fronts on the table. But definitely when I'm building at 100 points, it, it something feels like, well, I'm just going to put everything in here because I can, you know what I mean? And I, I, so I'm kind of on the fence between 75 and 100. I, I think with the newer armies, it feels less like I'm throwing everything that is available that I can because like you're allowed to play with like the FAs and stuff like that. The Jack loadouts become a little bit more expansive. Um, I, I do think the, I, I think Josh had some really great points about the 50 point game. Um, just being super accessible and something that you could bring to the hobby shop and play. And it's not like very onerous. Um, and, and there is a huge value to that. And the 75 point games actually remind me more of like back in the Mark two times, um, where you would have like 35 point games for like your casual pickup games. And then you'd have your 50 point games for some of the tournament stuff. And, uh, I, I think there's value there and just like having that slightly lower, just to play around with your little modules and stuff like that. But yeah, the, the hundred points feels like you can get a lot more depth. Um, and from a competitive sort of game, it feels like you're not cut off at the knees at like one bad skew or something like that. Um, it feels like that tipping point where there's more compensatory mechanisms against some of the RNG. It's not like you just don't have an answer to, you know, you don't have Grievous Wounds or something like that. So now you can't win this section of the fight here. At 100 points, you have more tools in your, your toolkit there to deal well, with more stuff. Even that short hop from 75 to 100 creates a little bit more of dice spread, too. You're, you're a little That's bit true. more guarded against, you know, a cataclysm, cataclysmic set of rules. Which, which I mean, James, you realize yep. not everyone's as cursed as you are. Which <laughs> not every, like, I've seen you roll ones like four times in a row, man. It's, it's, it's and we weren't playing Conquest, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the thing that I feel for a lot of this stuff is all of your points are equally valid. And that's the, the hard part about this is um, 
the the different game sizes do offer those pros and cons. Uh, some of it is too much. Some of it is too little. Uh, the thing that I really love about this is you can play competitive formats at each size, but they are different, and you have to go into them understanding that they are different. Um, the one thing that I really like, though, is I can play a 75 or 100-point game and then immediately throw it on a 50-point game all before the store closes at night. So you right. can get those multiple games in, or if you want to play 50-point games, you can get a tournament in in three hours. Like, it's not hard to get three rounds of a 50-point game in without breaking a sweat. So there's there's a lot of differences on that of, like, how many games do you want to play? Do you want to learn a new caster? Do you want to learn how this model works? A 50-point game can be fantastic for that. It's also quick. It has, like, you have a strategy. You execute on that strategy. You win or lose based off that strategy. While 100 points, you're like, now how do I layer these multiple strategies? How do I how do I make these things work? Individual pieces mean less, unlike in the 50-point, where individual pieces mean more. So there's, there's a lot of pros and cons to both. Um, I know personally I fall somewhere in the 75 to 100 point, but I love playing 50 point games. Um, 75 to 100 point for tournaments, 50 point, 75 or 100, depending on what my opponent wants to play. I'm willing to play whatever, whenever someone's like, hey, let's play a game. It's like, yeah, point size, let's go. So it's something that's just, how do you, how do you and your area, uh, want to play the games? That's really the big part of it. And, uh, at Adepticon, the, the qualifier there, uh, do you know what? 75. Yes. 75. So okay. the, so as part of Warfare Weekend, as the the lead judge for the Iron Gauntlet, there, I I have a feeling that, well, my personal feeling on it is seventy five is the the sweet spot. Um, it's probably more like eighty points is the sweet spot, but seventy five points allows you to, like uh, like you were saying, Mike, you have to make choices. Uh, you don't get just press uh, two of everything and then see what fits left and then fill it in. Um, there's there's a difference on that. I'm not saying that all 100-point games feel that way, but there's definitely times where I make a list where I just double everything and then see what else I need to take. Um, and that can get stale after a while. So I think 75 offers a little bit of that flexibility while also not feeling so small that you can't play. I think I would have had riots if I had 50-point tournaments as the main <laughs> Is the only thing is the only thing stopping you from having an eighty point tournament just tradition? Tradition and the app doesn't really let you do it easily. Oh, I see. Yeah. The app you just make hundred point lists and you'd have to make sure that they're all eighty points, which is fine. Um, But it's really tradition. Um, It's it's trying to find the balance between the game. Playing 80 points breaks a lot of things. Like, how do you play Infernals all of a sudden? Because do you have two or three summons? Um, yeah. Like, it breaks a lot of the, the things. Do you have two or three jacks that are required? Like, it, a lot of the structures built on this 50, 75, 100 point, that it feels really good in that regard. Um, I really like those the different three different sizes, and I think they're all equally valid. Um, I just know that I've enjoyed 75 personally more than 100, but I know I've also been... Like, had very long discussions with lots of people about why 100 points is better versus 75. And it's, like, I'm still, like, I'll take it or leave it on either. I'm I'm fine with both. I think inclusivity, 75 is better um, because you can get the new players in pretty easily. An army box plus 
uh, I think one of the starters, you have a 75 point list. Um, yeah. and that's like, huge to be able the, to like jump right. into a competitive scene like that. That's huge. Right. And I think a hundred points requires you to have two or an army box and an expansion box. So like as the game is coming out, I think 75 feels better as the game matures and we have like seven new factions out or whatever by then a hundred points might become the norm. And it's, I think 75, 50 are still highly useful. I think the recon format is also like highly useful for training someone and showing someone the game without it being like, hey, let's just play Battle Box and you don't, all the rules that you learned in the Battle Box don't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like recon, yeah. you can play and learn the rules from, and then 50 points is your next evolution up. So it's like, hey, let's play with two or three jacks and a solo and your Warcaster or Warlock or whatever. And learn a little bit, and let's graduate up to, let's add another unit in, or add two units in. And then 75, let's add another jack and another unit and another solo in, and you've graduated to 75, and then 100 as you keep, like, adding on to it. So it's, it offers a really good progression to learn the game, while also not forcing analysis paralysis on too many people. Yeah, that's definitely been my, my issue, too. I, I Analysis paralysis and... I'll burn through a whole hour clock in just like three turns because I'm trying to figure out all the different options I have here and then I'm doing none of them. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, that was my primary win condition against Mike was just like wait for him to clock <laughs> out and then we get to this new Mark IV shit and I'm like, that's fucking gone. He can sit there and However, think half the time and still be able to move quickly and everything's nice and clean and we're not messing right. with widgets. If you want to clock Mike out, just play Wolf against him. Yeah, that... Well, I clocked myself out that way. <laughs> Wolf feet turn, you should clock Mike out because every time he kills a guy, he'll be like, uh, and oh, something yeah. else dies. Yeah. Um, that was so, frightening. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's a lots of cool stuff. I think the new factions offer a lot to the game. Um, being able to choose your rack, like 50 points, you pick a different rack than 75 points or 100 points. So like, there are strategies for all of these, and I think it's fantastic to play all of them and also to understand that you're stepping out of your comfort zone and play some of those games that are outside your comfort zone. Uh, so, for example, James, playing some of the 50-point games, even though you don't enjoy it, because you'll learn more things that can be useful in your 100-point games. And similarly, Josh, playing something in the 100 points when you have enough of the models to be able to be like, yeah, let's, let's see this and let's see all of my tactics on my small scale work on the macro level. So I like... I like the half of that suggestion where it was Josh <laughs> stepping out of his comfort zone. Ah, James, that you need to step out too. Well, uh, speaking of comfort zones, the with the Adepticon tournament coming up, I know there's more than just a qualifier there too, right? We're going to be right. having a whole range of things being offered. Uh, the two-player tournament, I know the ATC is going to be there, the narrative right. events. I, I'm not super familiar with the narrative events, so do you want to, Travis, may explain sure. to what that is? So there's, um, in the past, we've had uh, narrative events at uh, Lock and Load, uh, Gen Con, and Adepticon, where it was the Battle of Boar's Gate. Uh, those events were eight-player versus eight-player team tournaments, where all eight players were on the same table. Uh, it was like a 16-foot table where they were battling against the others to see who achieved some sort of scenario victory. So this year, we're trying to bring that back. Uh, I'm going to be terrible and not remember the name of the, the battle. But the potential exists that we're going to have an eight-player game uh, featuring the Watchtowers and featuring the narrative of the Orgoth invading and enslaving a number of factions 
to fight against the defenders, trying to keep the Orgoth from taking uh, major uh, victory in different areas. So that's the primary premise of the narrative event. Uh, we'll be playing that, and if there's not, it's the Battle of Blackroot. I finally found the email that says what it is. Um, <laughs> so that Battle of Blackroot is going to be that type of event where it's a if there's eight players or even uh, four on four, we'll try to do some sort of uh, event for that where it's a large event. And if there's not, we're going to have individual tables where you can play through a narrative format between the invaders and the uh, defenders. Uh, a lot of this is going to feature the defenses and uh, guard towers that Perfect Press is coming out. So those are going to be the primary elements for a lot of these narrative events. If I wanted to practice with guard towers, would I be able to get them then? Yes, you can order them now. Uh, people have already received theirs that they've ordered. Um, so you will be able to get guard towers. I believe we haven't released fully the footprint for them. Uh, but I know people online have already posted the footprint on them. Uh, but you should be able to play with the guard towers. We'll be releasing the rules, I think, within a week or two um, for where the guard towers end up. But that is the plan, is to have the guard towers be part of the scenario in some way, shape, and form. So, like, like capturing them, like, holding them, or, yep. or like, destroying them, maybe? Absolutely. Or? Yep. All that's going to be parts of it. If uh, folks remember, at one point in a Adepticon long ago, we had different narrative tables. And these are going to be very similar to that, where it's like, here, you're going to you're gonna sit down with your opponent and be like, okay, we're going to play this table. Here's a page that tells us that the weird effects are different victory conditions. So it's not going to be like, hey, control this zone. It's going to be control the f- second floor of the watchtower or whatever as a different uh, scenario of victory or destroy their campfire uh, type things, where it's like, how do I generate interest in different parts of the table that aren't necessarily just steamroller? That's awesome. That's so cool. I, I love that idea of kind of, I mean, I love the steamroller. I love that, you know, very uh, standardized, competitive, you know, uh, balanced format. But I just, I, I love narrative. I love things that maybe, you know, are a little bit more off off the wall. You know, I think that's just so fun. Exactly. And that's where we're, we're trying to take some of our events as a strategy going forward is to play more of this narrative side, to have uh, different effects from the narratives play into our lore uh like for example if we play the battle of blackroot at three different conventions and say for example orgoth wins two of the three well then in the lore in the future lore that'll have some effect or it'll force a model or something like we haven't really locked down exactly how it's going to impact the game but it will change the game in some respect going forward where we tie these narratives back into the game and uh for example the season one season two of the leagues that are coming out in the war machine app like they'll deal season one's going to deal with the upcoming to the battle of blackroot and then season two will deal with the aftermath of it so things like that where you'll see more of a the story being played out through these narrative events and through uh different methods of uh narrative play that's like one of my favorite things too, like I'm traditionally somebody who's viewed as like fairly competitive minded with this game. Um, but every time I went to like lock and load or something like that, I would be camping those scenario tables. Right. Uh, like where you'd have to bring the bombs to the, the giant walls when they can right. like deploy from the tunnels underneath at like a random turn or something like that. And, um, and, 
uh, I still have PTSD from uh, there was like an airship battle. Yep. And uh, and this dude just parked Carver on it and threw the game for yep. our team. Like yep. we literally got all the Kador casters and he still lost us the game. And then they made a model memorializing <laughs> my most frustrating <laughs> moment at lock and load. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, there's that. <laughs> the definite parts where you get to enjoy that that's awesome that's so cool right exactly yeah it's it's amazing there's other crazy things like not even just talking war machine events but like warcaster events there's a there's a monpok narrative there's a war machine or warcaster narrative like for example the warcaster narrative are two like formats that i want to make a war machine format eventually um one of them's race mode uh, so not playing the race mode that was released previously, but more like pod racing. Uh, so if you think about Episode One Star Wars uh, pod racing, you literally put your vehicles out and you start racing on this track. But it's more like Mario Kart, uh, where there's like eight players playing at the same time and all trying to duke it out. But then pl- other players can be like the Tusken Raiders or whatever up further on the track shooting other car- vehicles down. So like there's, a, there's all sorts of chaos I want to do in that kind of event. Uh, additionally, there's one where the one that I want to translate to War Machine directly, but it's basically take down the train as it's moving across the map. So f- effectively, if you think of like 16 feet of table and there's a railway running down the center of it, your goal on either side is to rob the train by stopping the train. Well, where on that 60 feet, 16 feet of table are you going to stop the train and defend it to take the, the booty away with you, take the loot? Versus your opponents and fight that battle around a railway and derail the train and everything else that goes along with it. You can do really cool narrative events like that. And that's some of the stuff that we're trying to do is have those kind of events where it's like you get the effect that James has where he will always remember Lord Carver backstabbing him forever. So talk to me, uh, uh, other than like the uh, the standard events, uh, I remember in Mark II, I would love to play like Iron Arena type stuff. Do you guys Absolutely. have something like that going on? Yes, there is no actual event on the calendar for it, but we will have tables completely open for you to play Iron Arena on. So okay. there's, there is the event, it's just not on the events list, uh, because I don't want you guys to be charged to play Iron Arena. So you can come play casual games, uh, play whatever you want, whenever you want. I think from 8 a.m. to midnight, I think, is when the halls open. Uh, nice. You can get games in uh, with anyone else you want. Uh, whatever point level, uh, we'll have uh, Iron Arena swag to get. We're still trying to work on what swag's going to be there. Uh, we've got very little time, but we're trying to work on a lot of that to try to get cool things for you to do while you're there. Awesome. That's, that's so cool. And then you also get to play in the narrative tables because those are going to be part of Iron Arena as well. So yeah. You have a lot of fun everywhere. Now, Josh, I saw you added on here um, to go around and for one tip from each of us about attending Adepticon. If you had to attend there, what is one thing you would offer our, our listeners here uh, that, that would help them at the convention? What do you think? Yeah. So, my tip is to wear ear protection. Um, you might not think about it, but. It is very loud at Adepticon, no matter where you're at. And there's this constant din of people talking and making noise. And for me, it actually creates a a huge headache, literally. Um, So I wear ear protection, like little earplugs or whatnot. 
um, to help reduce that. And it, it makes a hundred percent difference since I started doing that at conventions, I can like go through the whole day and feel good at the end of the day rather than really kind of beat down and having a headache. Cause that, that just happens as part of it. Uh, so that would be my big tip there for Adepticon. And then I know Travis, you wanted to, to kind of ping off of that a little bit. Right. So to, to add on to that a little bit is if you are sharing rooms with other people, so say you stack four people into a, a double queen, or if you're crazy like in my younger years where we'd stack eight of us in a room uh, to save Jesus. money, you want your plugs because someone is going to be snoring up some chainsaws uh, and cutting some logs <laughs> uh, every night. And if you don't get any sleep, you're not going to perform well during your games. You're going to be exhausted and it's not going to be good for you. Yeah, I feel very uh, targeted with that. I know uh, <laughs> I, I've been known to snore, but I've got I've got my, my CPAP machine now. Excellent. But but yes, ear protection is a must in those situations. Absolutely. My tip uh, is uh, maybe maybe a, a pretty obvious one, but uh, I recommend bringing food in the morning. I would. I swear, Panera has not sponsored us yet. <laughs> but I love Panera, and I uh, love me a good, like, egg white spinach uh, on that little oat bread sandwich they have. So good. But I would get that and, like, another sandwich for lunch, too. And I put both of them in my bag. And so that way, you know, in the middle of a tournament or when I get a break or something, I can grab that for lunch. I don't have to go off and get more food. I think the big thing for that is, even if you neutral, or you pull that back to, like, its core essence of it is hydrate, eat, don't think that you can go 12 hours without eating. Uh, none of us want to turn into whatever Snickers commercial that you would end up being uh, at that time. Uh, we are all angry monsters and angry little gremlins when we don't eat. So please, please eat during the day and drink and everything else with that. Drink water, not necessarily drink alcohol, but you can do both. <laughs> uh, James, do you have any tips? Be welcoming and kind. Uh, at a lot of these events, it's pretty easy to get into like a group think mode and kind of feed off one another and make sure that's in a positive direction and a welcoming direction. Um, because a lot of these events is somebody's introduction to a community and you want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward, no matter who approaches or who overhears. To that end, there are a lot of communities that have not had the same, let's say, understanding of the rules that everyone else has. Or we have seven different versions of the rules that are in people's heads. We are at the beginning of an edition. Be understanding that you may play against someone that doesn't understand the rules the same level you do. Or, conversely, you don't understand the rules nearly what you think you do. And uh, someone else is going to ask you about something and be kind about that. There are a number of judges at the events and there are a number of people that are willing to help answer your questions. I know that I'm willing to do that during the entire events, but it is something that I think James has a, a great point on is being humble about your understanding of the game and not being a jerk ass about it the entire time. <laughs> well, that makes my suggestion of bringing two sandwiches seem really lame by comparison. Jeez. <laughs> well, my, my tip was going to be the sandwiches and then you took it. <laughs> and I had to come up with something on the fly. Well, no, really you're, you're, awesome. Hey, bringing the sandwiches prevents you from being the jerk ass later. So, like, this all feeds yeah, into true. each other. 
<laughs> the head, yeah. the earplugs prevent you from just being irritable. Like all of this all plays into each other, into itself about being good human beings while you're at these events. Well, I think we could probably talk about Adepticon, talk about tournaments till our faces turn blue, but I'm probably going to cut it off here. I Can I say we're going to be ending it? Oh yeah. yeah. One thing, one thing, uh, event registration closes end of February. I know in our small chat between the four of us that a number of you also have to sign up for events yet. So please, please, please sign up for events before February, I think 28th is the deadline for Adepticon events, but it's the end of the month. Uh, Make sure you are going on Adepticon.org. I said Adepticon.com earlier. That is the wrong one. It's Adepticon.org. And signing up for the events that helps us gauge what events we're going to run and what table spaces and everything else we need. So uh, please, please, please do that. And I know this episode is going to come out. Uh, you probably have like a week, week and a couple days to do so. Josh, was there anything you would like to plug? Oh, sure. Yes. So uh, Cool Guys Nation is uh, a YouTube channel. Um, you might have seen some of us. <laughs> Most of us are on this <laughs> channel. Uh, we do all kinds of stuff. Any um, multiple um, war games. We've got even magic and video games and stuff that we do. Uh, but if you check us out, Cool Guys Nation on YouTube, you'll see battle reports and you'll see hard-hitting journalism. No, uh, probably just people <laughs> opening magic cards as well. <laughs> but check us out. And then, um, Travis, you you have a stream, a Twitch stream, right? Would you like to plug that? Absolutely. So I am trying to get back into a regular streaming habit, but uh, I often show off new releases and painting models at twitch.nakuraizu.com. Uh, that is twitch.nekuraizou, uh, and I regularly stream there. I uh, have a Twitter account that links to it, Instagram, all that sort of fun jazz that all links to that same thing. Well, our next episode is going to be focusing again more as we get closer to Adepticon. We're going to be focusing more about tournaments and conventions. Particularly, our next episode is going to be about the convention crunch. All about painting and hobby and different techniques and tips and tricks to help you out with that. Hope you guys tune in to the next one, and uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 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 Intro and outro music is Kevin McLeod's Cold Fun.